You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 1 of a fanfiction titled Mistakes on Mistakes Until by today's guest fanfiction writer, Jabberish. Back in the outside world, the black interrogator is still sitting perfectly still in front of him, expression drone-like. Prowl immediately offlines his optics for focus. The box, their linkage, is an aggressive configuration, leaving them both scrambling to hide bleeding thoughts and get to something like safety. Why is the con scrambling so much? He has, Prowl realizes, something he wants very badly to hide. And the moment he knows, the con knows he knows, and knows he's looking, looking for... The thought starts to bubble out. The con activates an aggressive stop from the box, shoving at Prowl's presence. Pit, get out! You rust-filled scrap pile, I'm hacking you, you leave me alone! But Prowl has had enough time to tamper and dismisses the box's attempts to classify his presence as an intrusion. Advantage is his, 25%, and climbing. The con is better than the modestly skilled interrogator Prowl calculated for, but... Not as good as you. Frag. Whatever, Mac, leave me alone. You don't gotta bother me, you don't gotta do anything but wait it out. Mandatory vacation time, you're gonna be out in a bit, right? Abruptly, Prowl recalls that the thought leakage goes both ways, but he is pretty sure he hasn't. He isn't. Nah, you've been flawless. That's mine. The image of himself offering up his cables presses through the connection. The image of an enemy, taller, higher ranked, no business being anywhere near, hand extended for interrogation like he's bored. That's a mech with an escape route, or a good liar. Yeah, but that's their tack ops second. They'll be back for him. It's disorienting seeing himself through the con's mind. Two feeds of memory overlaying themselves and grating against his senses. Yeah, they're gonna get you back, Pit. They'll let Mex die to get you back, won't they? Well, they would. But. And. And it'll be worth it. Especially if they can do it before the third cycle is out. That mission is gonna fall apart without you to coordinate. It is buried securely in his trees. Prowl is not thinking about a neutral ship, Autobot sympathetic, damaged and awaiting a slow rescue in a sector with Decepticon response time cycles ahead of the best they can do. All at once, Prowl claws through the other mech's processor with fully armed assault software, onlines his optics, and lunges forward. The interrogator is smaller, throat at minus 12 degrees. If he can grab hold, he can smash his helm against the table. 72% chance of damaging the processor enough to at least delay communication. Follow up with it. He does not even brush the cons plating. The black mech twists and skitters backwards quickly, faster than any analytic class is spec for, clearing enough space with enough force to rip the cable connectors apart. A single spark pops at the connection breaks and errors cascade through Prowl's carefully balanced processor. He needs to kill that con. Nothing personal, purely tactical. Lives depend on that information, the breakout, the neutral ship. They're stranded and the cons are closer. Gotta get to them. The con is twitching, stumbling to his feet on the far wall. Jerky from the hard disconnect, but Prowl is worse off. His frame is not responding properly, and then Barrow smacks him down with the butt of his rifle. And it is too late. But it was too late the moment the con made out of Prowl's reach. 
He cannot tell if the Khan saw the attack coming from the interface, or if he just recognized the inevitable reaction to the situation. Unable to move, unable to do anything productive, Prowl snarls in the general direction of his interrogator. 95% of the latter. He is good. Borrow, don't shoot him. Don't, don't shot. Shoot. We're good, yeah? The Khan's voice is cut with static, and he has none of the calm grace he's had on entering, but he does have a lopsided grin. Per interrogation room standard, Prowl is between the interrogator and the door. It positions him unable to see the door for psychological and security reasons. The chain gives the con plenty of safe space to get by, but Prowl has to try anyway. As the interrogator bobs for the door, Prowl twists and shoves his chair at full force, and it makes a satisfying crash against the wall, but the interrogator has hopped free and is at the door already. Barrow hits Prowl hard with something that discharges a blinding amount of current into his systems and sends him to the floor. He twists in his chains, resetting optics against static and flicking sensor wings to watch the cons leave. The interrogator shakes with what could be aftershock, 30%, or laughter, 80%, and fumbles at the door weakly before Barrow reaches past him to give a proper swipe on the control pad. The door opens and the interrogator looks back at Prowl, still smirking, left optic sparking slightly. He tips his helm with a clumsy flourish. Spend a pleasure, Prowler, he says, as he ducks through the door. North, south, east, and west four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Joining us all the way from Europe today, our special guest fanfiction writer is Jabberish. They have been a member of AO3 since 2013, and they currently have five Transformers fanfiction stories posted. Hell yeah. They love to read play with computers and run, and they also enjoy listening to music and collecting houseplants, which I think is super, totally cool. Jabberish, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Very exciting. Absolutely. I do want to mention here really quick that I heard about you from one of your listeners. One of your listeners reached out to me recently and said, um, Maverick, have you heard about this fan fiction? <laughs> and I had not, which I love when people reach out to me, by the way, just throwing that out there, guys. Like, I love when people reach out to me. Super glad that I was contacted, Jabberish, about your fan fiction today because it is amazing. Can't wait to talk about it. But it was just super cool. You have excited fans out I there. I do. I have some very passionate readers and I love them. I did not really expect, I think, to connect with people on the level that has happened. It blows my mind every time, but I think some people really like, yeah, like, yeah, you're getting what I'm putting down and I love it and I appreciate it very much. (laughs) Yes, that's always such a good feeling. They always say that we write for ourselves, but when it connects to other people as well and they connect with it and they get passionate about it just like we do, that's always such a huge bonus. I love when that happens. I want to back up just a little bit here to talk about your origin story with fan fiction. I love hearing the different ways that people discover fan fiction. How did that happen for you? And what was it like reading your very first one? So I don't remember what the first thing I read was. And I feel like there's, it, it happened 
sort of twice for me. I was aware of fanfiction long before I read it. Long might be exaggeration, but I was pretty into art in high school. I did a lot of drawing, and I drew a lot of anime. I sort of came into fandom through the art side more, and a lot of my friends were also into art, and many of them were also into fic, so I knew people who read fic, probably who wrote some fic, but I was aware of it, and I was, in hindsight, I think just too self-conscious to read it. I didn't understand it. I didn't, it didn't bother me, but I would get, I would get very flustered. I'd get very embarrassed about fic for reasons I still don't entirely understand. And then at some point later on, I finished Supernatural. Okay, so I watched Supernatural and caught up right at the end of season five, which is like the end of the like the the prescripted arc, right? So it was a very dramatic ending. And I was like, okay, that was a solid end. But now what do I do? And I was like, I was, I was hitting up my usual like uh, DeviantArt fan art stuff. And I was like, uh, okay, but I want I want narrative. What do I, and I was like, oh, I, I, I'm looking for fan fiction. I, I know this. I knew that existed. I don't know why it took me so long to put that together. Then I went on fanfiction.net and read a lot of Supernatural fic and branched out from there. Nice. This is kind of like a silly question, but like I talk to my other fandom friends quite frequently about Supernatural, which is kind of funny because I actually have never really watched the show all that seriously. But for some reason, I read a lot of Supernatural fan fiction, and I have since the 2000s, right? And I remember back in the 2000s, most of the Supernatural fan fiction that we were all reading was the Wincess stuff. And we all laugh about that and be like, ah, ha, ha, you know. Was that primarily what you were reading for Supernatural, or was it something else? I liked Wincess. I, um, I really liked Sam at the time. And since like, the, the big chips were Wincess and Destiel, I liked either. But just to get, like, the Sam on screen, I had absolutely no compunctions on reading Winsast. I was like, yep, it's got Sam. <laughs> it's got, like, the angst and hurt comfort I like. Right. Does it have explicit incest? Sure, it has that, too. I, that's fine. <laughs> well, you know what? No shame. We all talk about how that's a thing we did back in the day. And there's oh, just yeah. no shame to it. Because honestly, like, come on, you know, it's fan fiction. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. yeah no, I, I always... I've listened to enough backlog that I, I'm, I feel comfortable. It's like, yeah, I always tended towards like the pretty heavy, like womp and angst and like slave thick type angsty things. And it's like, yes. look, the incest is not the thing to be alarmed about on, in terms of what's <laughs> happening on screen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's sometimes that's like the tamest part. Oh, yeah. Of, like, uh, of the fandom, for sure. So yeah, like, look, this, this is set in a torture dystopia. A little bit of consensual <laughs> adult incest is fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially because, you know, I feel like it really did allow for amazing exploration of those two characters, incest aside. (laughs) So I always appreciated that and everything. And I I haven't read Wincest in a really long time at this point, but uh, I always look back fondly on that, like, oh, that's so cool, you know? So you remember the days of fanfiction.net. Obviously, eventually you hopped over to, to AO3, then with your fanfiction experience, it sounds like. Yes, yeah. So I've been, I guess, I, I think that for many years, my pattern of fic was, I, I would mostly not be into fic. It was a secret. It was kind of a hypocritical secret where I felt very self-conscious about it, even though I had friends who read and wrote fic, and I did not think that was weird of them at all. But I would sort of have normal periods where I didn't interact with it that much, and then I would have 
basically periods of bad mental health when I would obsessively read clusters of stories for a few months. So I'd be fine for a while and then I'd be totally updating sort of the thick landscape for a few months. So like I'd be like, okay, fanfiction.net. It's been a few months. What's changed? A bunch of things are deleted. Everybody is talking about like, oh, here's my live journal. I did end up on a lot of the side archives. Part of the pattern here means that like, I don't have good memories of a lot of my like thick journey. It's like, I remember at some point, I think I read through like some, I, I know I read through a web 1.0 archive of like a bunch of Sentinel dark fix. And it's like, was that just like, 50 Sentinel dark fix linked by one person? What was that? I don't know. I remember it happening, but I can't tell you much more. Oh my god, you read Sentinel? Oh yeah. I have never run into anyone else. Really? Like talking face to face that has read. Yes. Okay, speaking of slave fig, we can just go on this tangent for a little while. Do you remember the GDP series? I probably read it. Do I remember it is a different question. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, it was the first, well, I want to say it was the first. I don't really have any way of knowing, but it felt to me at the time like the first big, overarching Sentinel universe. It was an AU universe that this person built where guides are considered second-class citizens yes, and they're yes, sort of yes, owned yes. by the Sentinels and stuff like that. This person started that whole thing, you oh, know, man. from my understanding. And it was called the GDP series, which is kind of hilarious because like, I'm not going to lie. The other day I was really bored and I ended up going back to the GDP series on AO3. Haven't touched it in like 20 years or something. Right, like that, right. And went back through and reread it and was like, oh, yeah, I remember why I like this shit. Like, <laughs> this is so dark, yeah. but so interesting. There were just lots of stories about Blair and Jim. And oh, my God, I read so much Sentinel fic back in the early 2000s. I cannot even tell you. <laughs> yeah, there's so much good Sentinel fic. And I haven't seen the show. And it doesn't even matter, I feel like. I think it's one of those fandoms. It took on a life of its own, and because it was existing in this like particular area that I happen to love and happened to like often be looking for, it's like, yeah, Sentinel fic. Reliably yes. written by people who share my interest in emotional beats. Yes. Yes. Well, there was just so much to explore there. I feel like Sentinel fan fiction was really where I got to explore a lot of the different tropes that I like in fan fiction and really kind of cemented what I was looking for going forward into different fandoms and stuff like that. And it all, all of that like really heavy exploration of all that happened in the Sentinel. Yeah. It's a fandom with some, some stuff that's definitely interesting. And for particular people, myself included, has uh, like great stuff. Absolutely great distillation of lots of great tropes, lots of great dynamics. Okay, so that actually is making a little bit of a connection in my brain right now between the Sentinel and the fic that we're talking about today with yes. Prowl and Jazz. For those who are unfamiliar with the Sentinel, the Sentinel has this one character, Jim, who's like kind of a hard ass, really logical, by the book. He doesn't break any rules. You know? <laughs> and then his partner that he works with on the show is like this hippy-dippy PhD candidate who likes to break all the rules and doesn't really see authority as much of an issue and blah, blah, blah. And I'm actually seeing a lot of similarities here. I like an odd couple. I like your straight-laced, stiff, sort of hardworking classic, and then your little more alt counterculture, and when they just get along. 
Yes, I can't wait to talk about that more when we dig into your story a little bit. But yeah, I just thought now as I was thinking about it that that similarity is hilarious. And I think one day I'd love to explore the Sentinel more on the podcast because it was such a huge part of my early fan fiction journey. Now, I had wanted to ask you about your first experiences with fandom, but it sort of sounds like you already answered that in a sense, as far as like your first experiences with fandom really sound like it was more on the art side, drawing and getting into the anime side of things. Sounds like you were on DeviantArt a lot. I was. I spent a lot of time on DeviantArt when I was a teenager. It was good for me, I think. I sort of kept a toe in like keeping up with the people I followed on DeviantArt right up until they redid their site so that like the notification system did not work for me. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. It was terrible, but it was also like, I could resort through this. But I think that just it's no longer sort of how I connect with people on the internet. So yeah, it, it was nice, but I definitely think of it as like sort of a past me thing. I at some point slipped and fell into writing. <laughs> well, thank God for that, honestly. <laughs> because it's awesome. It's so totally awesome. So it sounds like you were keeping up with other people then online in your fandom experience. Would you consider yourself more of a lurker or more involved? Oh, hardcore lurker. Yeah? I, I, I drew and now I write. I never really had like a sort of a, a head or a heart for the meta stuff that I think like a lot of my friends are really into and uh, a lot of people are into. And I think it's like, it's great. I think some of my fandom friends will like send me neat things that come up in like fan communities, but a lot of the social things, I don't know. I'm shy. I, I think a lot about anything that I write or post or like respond to. So it's just like the time just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I love about fandom is I don't feel like there's any wrong way necessarily to be a part of it. You can be totally in, you know, the thick of it and know everybody and everybody knows you and that's cool. Or you can be a lurker on the outskirts and still enjoy the content and still participate, but in your own way, like on your own terms. And I love that that's always an option. And I feel like that's a valid one for a lot of people. Yeah, especially like, I think that fandom can be valuable for like people who feel like they're weird and shy and who are going online because they had a rough day or they like just can't think straight it's like look I just want something that is like zero effort I'm not here to like be a person I just want to look at something or read something yes well especially for those of us who do consider ourselves introverts that social battery runs out right for me yeah. at about five o'clock <laughs> in the evening and I'm like I cannot people today yep. anymore like <laughs> yes so yes yes I love that about fandom you can make it whatever you want. And I think that that's beautiful. I think that I was about 70 or 80k words into mistakes when I was talking to some of my friends who are in fandom, and they were talking about fandom. And I like, wanted to say something. So I preface with like, well, I'm not really in fandom, but and they, they stopped me. It's like, they're like, we respect your identification here. But are you not in fandom at this point? It's a funny line. Everyone participates or doesn't participate in their own way. Yeah, yeah. No, and I love that. I also love that I feel like in fandom, a lot of the people that I've talked to that are more involved, when I tell them sort of like shamefacedly that, oh, you know, I was kind of a lurker before I started this podcast. I'm a little bit more involved. I still feel like I'm on the periphery of things. And they'll stop me. And they'll be like, well, do you read fan fiction? 
well, yeah, I read a lot of fan fiction. Okay, then you're part of fandom. Like you're part of this community. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter, you know, yeah. if you don't talk to a billion people online every day. Just the act of participating and engaging Absolutely. with the community in any capacity, like you are part of fandom. We all don't have to be social butterflies online to be considered part of things. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Knowing how much I got, how meaningful and intense an experience it was to be just like reading fic absolutely silently and with like no real conscious understanding that it was like people writing things and like that there were people behind it. It's like, that was such a big deal to me. It's a valid way to be a part of the fandom. And I think that silent readers are fantastic. And I respect the hell out of all of them. <laughs> Yay. Well, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later today. But I did want to really quick kind of just go over what your thoughts are on fan fiction in general. I love asking this question because it seems like everybody has a slightly different answer. For you specifically, why do you love fan fiction? What makes it unique and compelling to you personally? Yeah. For me specifically, I think that like putting aside sort of like what is or isn't fan fiction in like an artistic or cultural way, it's like for me, fan fiction, it's it's hobby writing and it's a way to sort of write and celebrate writing and genre tropes. I've done sort of original fiction writer circles. I like them. I like hanging out with writers. I like talking about writing. And I think that fan fiction sort of enables an acceleration of that in a way that is just delightful because once you have a shared sandbox of characters and tropes and just shared narrative, like you just have so much more to talk about. With original fiction, you can talk about the mechanics of writing, you can talk about things you like, but even, even with like original fiction, I feel like I, I'm often talking to, to people about stories that we've both read and like what we thought of them. And with fan fiction, it's, it feels almost collaborative. We're all talking about characters that we are writing and caring about and like working with together. Yeah, so I think about fan fiction in terms of tropes and genre a lot. Like I, I always did like fantasy sci-fi. F fantasy sci-fi was like my jam has been for much of my life. Right? I, I love it. It's genre fiction. It's not quite the same as, like, it, it's not as freeform as some of the, like, like some, some writing groups are like, oh yeah, what is writing? Let's talk about craft. Let's talk about great American novel. And that's great. I like talking about writing on a pure level, sure. But like, there's just something fun about tropes. I think that fan fiction is a little uniquely tailored to look at the specific beats of characters and dynamics and relationships and settings, especially like ha having tags. So tags are kind of an AO3 thing, but tropes are absolutely a fandom thing. And the cultural flow through fandom is like independent of AO3. And it's, I think it's, it's not necessarily unique to fandom, but I think it's extremely distilled to fandom in a way that I love. And the way that I think makes fan fiction extremely powerful for sort of just pure love of story. Because you're not necessarily creating like new characters and worlds and like new ideas that people have never encountered before, but you're reassembling them and investigating them and really like digging into what makes a particular pairing, different iterations of a pairing that everybody like, that you like or you dislike. I don't know about writing things that you dislike, but looking at tropes, and try, trying to figure out, it's like, yeah, this particular beat, this particular like archetype is something that I love. And it, it's people who are passionate about stories and making it particular stories, I think just really enables the conversation to get 
very specific and like really dig into things that are just fundamentally interesting to the people involved. Yes, I would agree with that, especially your point about the tropes. That's such an interesting perspective. I love talking about tropes with people because on the one hand, there are those people that complain like, oh, fanfiction is so tropey and it's like the same story over and over yes. and over again. Yes, I love it. Yeah. But then you have those of us that are super passionate about the tropes and we're like, yeah, but that's sort of the reason why we like it. Yes. I don't care how many times I've seen the same trope over and over and over again. When I see the same trope applied to different fandoms and different character pairings and different scenarios, the experience is still going to be different every single time, even if it's a trope that I have read a million times, right? And it just never ceases to get old to me because you're right. We do use those tropes as these vehicles to explore the canon universe, to explore different facets of these characters and explore ourselves. So I have to know. Since we're on the topic of tropes, what is the one trope that you could read over and over and over again and just never get tired of? Okay. You mentioned that you noticed my indulgent terror tag on my fic. Yes. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's, it's not a phrase that other people use to my knowledge. I don't know. It's not a common tag or whatever they call it. But at the point that I was picking my tags, I was like, this is the thing that I want to filter on. This, this is what I've been trying to filter on. and. So it's some subset of hurt comfort that like it's not all of it though and it's like there's something about angst it overlaps a lot with a lot of like uh, slave fic tropes and something mm -hmm. about in transformers fandom like the defection trope it's like yeah something about i i don't know exactly how to describe it if i i can only describe it in story beat form it's this collection of scenarios that i love you know you know what i am so glad that you said that and obviously, I want to dig into this a little bit more later on in the interview. But <laughs> when I first saw that tag, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I wonder what this particular writer means by that. And then I read the story and I was like, oh, OK, I'm not going to lie. This is hitting something <laughs> deep in me that I know that I love, but I've never heard it described that way before. Usually when I read a story like that, it'll probably be tagged angst hurt comfort you know yes. like yes. whatever and i'm good with that i yeah, yeah. read all kinds of shit like that okay but then i saw the indulgent terror tag and i was like is this what they mean because i think that this is what they mean by that but i don't know and i didn't want to put that on you but that's what it felt like to me when i was reading it i was like oh this is that really good angsty hurt comfort scenario where like yes. i just love it like i can't help it like, yes yes yeah I, it's like i don't know exactly what parts you're referring to but probably yes yes yeah i will tell you later what <laughs> was going through my mind as i was reading this story i sometimes get a little bit weird about talking about it sometimes because i'm like i don't know what this says about me exactly yeah. i've tried to like describe this to people who don't relate and like, even like that, they'll be very patient and like they'll listen and they'll like, oh, interesting. Do you mean something like this? I'm like, I don't know how I can describe this, except that when I read somebody who is like, I don't know, being scared of someone who's just trying to be nice to them, I'm like, something happens in me and I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it just does something in my brain. It lights up this little part in my brain. And you're right. It is hard to explain to people who don't get it or they don't have that same reaction that you do to that particular situation. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't even know how to describe this, but it's delicious. Give me more, please. Okay, I'm so excited to talk about your fic now. Speaking of your fic, we're talking about Transformers today. 
which I'm super excited about because we've never talked about Transformers on the show before. And I do need to preface this by just apologizing, blanket apology, to all of the Transformers, like, fandom people. Okay, I've been reading fan fiction for 25 years. I've been on AO3 for a really long time. And there are certain tags that will go unmentioned at this point um, (laughs) that I filter for. And I often see Transformers fix pop up in these particular tags. Because I don't know anything about Transformers, I would always skip over them and just be like, I just don't understand how that works. Like, I don't understand Transformers, blah, 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 right? Right. I was the same. Yeah. And then reading your fic. Oh, my God. It was this huge revelation to me. Like, this is fantastic. You're telling me that there's a whole plethora of stories out there that I could be enjoying. And I was just being like stupid because I don't understand Transformers. So I would skip over them. And your fic was the thing that made me go back into the whole entire Transformers tag on AO3 and play around like a giant playground for weeks Ah. after I finished your fic. Because I was just like, this is fantastic. Yeah. I want to say to you guys, the Transformers people out there, I get it now. I get it. So thank you for that. (laughs) Because like, that's one of my favorite things about this podcast, honestly, is sometimes it forces me to really dig into a fandom I'm not familiar with. And sometimes I am just blown away, like so surprised at how much I fall in love with it. So it's always so much fun when I get to explore different fandoms like this. So I don't have anything really to say about my background in Transformers because I don't really have one except for the exposure to this fan fiction that we're talking about today. So I want to know about your background with Transformers. Like, how did you get into this? What are your favorite things about this fandom and the Transformers story in particular? All of that good stuff. First off, I want to say, welcome to Robot Hell. I feel like Transformers fandom is large. It's slightly isolated a bit from other fandoms, in part because there's a lot of unabashedly weird things that I love. But I'll get to that. I'll say, so actual Transformers. I cannot remember whether I got into Transformers fandom first or not. I think it might have been side by side. I'm like, like I've, I've, been, I've been thinking back and it's like, I, I, I probably read fic first. I, I read Band of Blind a lot. I also, I, I filter for tags. I'll read anything that seems like it might have a story I like, even if I'm unfamiliar with the characters or world. Yeah, and I skipped over Transformers many times, but then finally it's like, eh, okay, I'll try one. But at the time, also, I was pretty into comics in general. I still read a good amount of comics, especially the sort of smaller publishing house things and the IDW one run of Transformers by Roberts was just extremely well-reviewed. In the sort of like niche comic circles, there were a lot of people saying, dude, I think you would like this. The plot is fantastic. The world is very interesting and they're gay. I was like, okay, it is 2015 and I will read anything that has canon gay characters. So Nice, yes. I was so desperate. Uh, (laughs) And the comics are fantastic. The comics are good and contained a lot of themes that like really hooked me and then really resonated with me later but i think that it was actually a combination of the media and the fandom for me because transformers is a little bit unusual as a media piece because it's it's not a piece it's a franchise right yeah there's multiple universes there's multiple iterations of the characters within universes there are multiple writers writing the same characters sometimes in really rushed ways sometimes i'm like sort of the backbone the most visible the Transformers, like the cartoon from the 80s, it is barely coherent. It's got a lot of like great things and 
it's fun and it like it, it genuinely like you can work with it in terms of fiction but it also just sets a bar for like you gotta if you want a story you gotta sort of do your own thing and also not mind that other people are going to be doing their own thing are you familiar with the commedia dell'arte yes mm-hmm. yep. yeah yeah i think transformers I think it's a little bit poetic that it is, you know, kind of just a toy brand and a, a series of media to sell toys to people. Because I think that in terms of fandom, it has a, it's, it's led to sort of a, a parallel of like, it's a set of characters and set pieces and themes and concepts that people are almost encouraged to iterate with and mess with. And the canon material and the fanon material have fed into each other. There are a number of things, especially like later canon and comics, that were taken from fandom, taken from fanon, and they were taken from the fact that the writers were kind of adapting the fanfiction they wrote before they were paid for it. Nice! Nice! I love that! Yeah. So the fandom is fascinating, and I think that worked really well for me because like, I can get really caught up on like, I don't know, is this like, how does this interact with canon? Why am I changing the themes? Why don't I just write my own thing? But Transformers is like, nah. What is canon? This is a sandbox, and here are some interesting ideas. Yeah, it almost sounds like the fandom encourages that in the fans. You're encouraged to take it and break it and then make it your own, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and people, people have uh, mixed opinions on like the ending of the uh, IDW run. There's definitely parts I liked and disliked, but I also can't remember whether it was the original run or the one that actually got printed, but it ends with sort of a quantum leap. So like the, they establish like the ship spl- splits and it copies into two different versions. One of them like goes back to Cybertron and has an ending. And the other one goes somewhere completely random and it ends with, all right, over to you. Like, okay, that is a very open ending written by a man who wrote a lot of Transformers fan fiction. That is a much more than a wink at the fandom. That's like, yeah. <laughs> I love that, though. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. In a more specific and maybe arbitrary sense. In 2019, I hit one of my periodic. I don't know what I'm doing in life anymore. I just want to read fic for a bit. And I also caught up on the comics, which I hadn't finished last time I was at them. And there were a few just specific themes that resonated with me sort of surprisingly intensely. Like, So, so Mistakes draws a lot from sort of G1 and fanon settings, and then draws a lot of theme and tone from IDW. Like the themes of optimism in the face of like moral ambiguity and the idea that even when you have like an imperfectly good option, it is still like meaningfully better. And also lots of like chicanery with memory and lies and reprogramming. There's a lot of fun pieces. And so I love the Transformers fandom for the fact that there's a lot of fun pieces and there's enough weird that I think it's easy to sort of just put aside dignity in Transformers fandom. And I mean that in a great way. It's, I, I think that like we're writing about giant transforming space robots. Have fun. Do what you want to do. This is like, it's serious, but it's not. I love the mix and match. I love the fandom sandbox. And then the IDW themes and tones just really hit me at a particular time when I wanted to write something like that. Yeah, it really sounds to me like some of the core themes and arcs of the story really resonated with you when you needed it the most. 
which I love that about fandom. I've had that happen to me in various fandoms before where the theme or the message or whatever it was really resonated with me at just the right time that I needed it the most. I think those can be the most meaningful stories to explore. I love that. It sounds like this fandom is really rich with different possibilities. And possibility is always so amazing when it comes to creating stories. Your story in particular, it's Jazz Prowl. And I know that there are so many different characters in Transformers, as I've discovered. So, like, there's a lot of different pairing possibilities. And Jazz Prowl seems to be pretty popular, from what I can tell. I can absolutely see why, right? From my perspective. And I don't know, because, of course, again, I don't know anything about this fandom. Like, I'm coming in basically fandom blind here. But it does seem like the Jazz and Prowl pairing relates back to what we were talking about before with the Sentinel where you kind of have this odd couple vibe. You know, you have Jazz, who's just kind of like, I don't need no authority. I don't need no rules. And then you have Prowl, who's like, um, no, actually, it's all about numbers and rules. And we're very by the book here. And it's just so interesting to have two complete opposites pair up like that and not only be friends, but also have the possibility to develop something a little bit deeper than friendship. And I found myself utterly fascinated watching these two characters relate. I feel like in most scenarios, I'm Prowl. I will give you numbers, I'll give you statistics, and I'll give you percentages. I'm very comfortable with rule following and all of that stuff. And sometimes I feel very discombobulated when somebody just crashes into my life and doesn't want to follow any rules and sees life in a completely different way and different perspective than I do which is kind of the role that Jazz seems to play <laughs> in Prowl's life. Here. You know, at least with your story, which was just phenomenal. I will say that I found myself really relating a lot to Prowl and sort of feeling a little bit sorry for him because I was just like, oh, poor Prowl. Like, you know, if I was dealing with this shit right now that he is in this story, I would be beside myself <laughs> because I couldn't handle it. Oh, yeah. It's not easy to be Prowl. <laughs> no. no. No, it's not. I mean, like, he handles himself so well, but I can see how from his very logical, analytical perspective, dealing with a character like Jazz would be very challenging. I was hoping you could give us your perspective on this pairing here. What are the best parts of writing for it? What's your favorite parts about these two characters together? All of that. Oh, man. I have so much I can say about this. Okay, yes. First off, I'll say, since you probably haven't encountered this, and I think it's one of the great jokes of the fandom, fandom in general, as Jazz Prowl is like, it was, it was a, it was a fan and first couple. Was it really? <laughs> it really was. <laughs> <laughs> so Jazz and Prowl in the original cartoon, I don't think that they interact at all. They might like, like they might accidentally address each other when they're talking in a group, but I don't think they talk to each other. I think that there was like a crack fic that was a Jazz Prowl ship that kind of took off, and I think people kind of started thinking like. Jazz and Prowl's characterizations were in some ways driven by the ship more than the other way around, which I think says something about like some sort of fan and drive for the, the like opposites attract relationship. I definitely don't understand it, even though I emotionally am like, yes, I understand 100%. <laughs> so, so that's sort of like how the ship happened. But I was wondering about that because I was like, OK, I know nothing about these characters in canon, so I have no way to know. Are they actually like this in canon, or is this just the way that the fandom sees them? The, they are now. The, like the, are they really? Yes. <laughs> Hello. Yep. 
Yeah, like the Jazz and Pearl, ha- like in later appearances, Jazz is a side character and Pearl's a main character, but they sort of immediately connect when they meet, and it's like a cute sort of implied chemistry that that that's I believe that's like a nod at fandom, and Prowl in particular has had characterization that like I think has gone more more towards fandom. There there are different interpretations and iterations, of course, but like G one Prowl is not very strongly characterized and marvel prowl is a little bit more i think normal like doesn't have a lot of the atypical emotional processing and like hyper competence and focus on like empiricism that fanon prowl does and like those, those traits show up in later iterations of prowl and i think they come after the sort of the fandom ran with that that's so incredible that, like, fandom prowl would inform canon. That just blows me away. Yeah. I love that. It's a back and forth of having a franchise that has, like, installments that have been created over time after the event of, like, a fandom. But yeah, but in terms of the ship, I will say I friggin' love the chaos man, order man kind of dynamic. <laughs> I also like them both a lot, and I... I find them both easy to relate to. I think that for me, a lot of the like the the really strong appeal of the ship is in a sort of personal like tension or lack of tension. I felt because I'm I contend pretty like hyper and emotional. I honestly relate quite a bit to Prowl, but superficial like I fidget, I joke, I feel like a lot of the superficial things that seem like they should be incompatible about Jazz and Pearl actually aren't. Like, practically, sure, there are, there are some things that, like, they're very different, but they're extremely compatible, and they agree on, like, core level. So, like, they're both, they, they both have, like, a very central, or they have, they have a central sort of weird relationship with pragmatism and, and, like, ideals. They have sort of opposite approaches to the same core problem of, being in a world where their decisions will impact people around them. Yeah. I noticed that that was a big discussion in the fifth. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I got the impression that they both sort of want the same things at the core. Prowl is very much concerned about the moral implications of decisions, you know? And so is Jazz. But like you said, they just kind of seem to have different approaches to the same problem, but at the core of them. I feel like they both really did want the same thing. They just have different approaches. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of like their moral philosophy, it's very complicated. But in terms of like the, like the, the personal practical, I think that like both of them want to avoid losing or hurting people they care about. And yeah, they, they want to avoid making the wrong decision because they care about people. And Pearl's approach is to try not to care about people on a personal level. They, they want to be fair. And Pearl decides to be fair by being very neutral with everyone. And Jazz is fair by sort of having his actions and his emotions at odds with each other. He can feel however he wants about people and just do what he thinks is fair regardless. Yeah, I did feel like Jazz's approach was far more emotional than Prowl's was. (laughs) Yes, very much. Yeah, yeah. And they both feel very intensely and neither of them in like a way that is immediately obvious. And also... As a pair, I, I think it's funny, like, Jazz is in some ways sort of like the, the more manic end of a lot of the same thoughts, Prowl's the more anxious, depressive end. I was having a bit of a time when I outlined a lot of this, and 
at some point I look back like, oh yeah, I, I see that I have a like diagnosably manic character and a diagnosably depressed character talking about their feelings. <laughs> I loved your specific interpretation of jazz. At this point, I have had the opportunity to read other fan fictions that have these same two characters. And while I can see in the different fan fictions that I've read similarities to what I saw in yours, I realize that everybody kind of has their own unique interpretations of these characters, so they're all going to sound a little bit different. And I just feel like yours, it's the most amazing one I've seen. I hear what you're saying about manic jazz, you know, and I can absolutely see that because to me, like your jazz is so over the top and so cheeky. I'm going to tell you something like super embarrassing. I'm excited. Going in fandom blind, right? I have no idea what these characters sound like in canon, right? Right. So when I'm reading these characters, especially when Jazz and Prowler are speaking, I have no idea what their voices are supposed to sound like. So do you want to know whose voice I used for jazz? (laughs) I used Pedro Pascal. Because I felt like there's this cheeky quality to Pedro's voice. I like it. This calls for like some Pedro Pascal energy right here. So I just used that the entire fic. And I was like, they will probably kill me if they don't. Because I'm into it. <laughs> it's just so silly. And oh man, Prowl, I had such a hard time with. I tried different voices and I just couldn't nail one down. That I was like, yep, that's the one. Prowl's just kept changing for me as I was going around like reading the fic. But Jazz... I knew from the beginning whose voice I was hearing every time I read jazz. <laughs> oh, I've tried, but I love that. Yeah, so just fun fact for everybody out there. <laughs> fun fact. Try reading it in Pedro Pascal's voice. Super fun. I had a really great time reading uh, this fake, as you can tell. I was just blown away by how good it was. Absolutely amazing. The fic is called Mistakes on Mistakes Until... And it's 59 chapters at the moment, so it it is a work in progress. But 59 chapters, even though it's unfinished, there's so much there to explore and have fun with. So that's super great. I really loved the author's note that you put at the beginning of this fic, where you mentioned you had read all of the defection ex-con AUs for Transformers out there at that point and decided to create your own. So I was wondering, what makes your particular fic different from the other defection XCON AUs out there. What inspired this story and what is this story about? Yes. I think I'll start for the sake of potential clarity, I'll say, on a, on a more literal, in a more literal way. Like the, the thing is about a soldier getting captured and changing his mind about sort of his previous worldview and joining the Autobots who are the good guys in a way that is complicated but real enough to convince Jazz. I don't feel too terrible about spoiling it because I think that it's a story that has been told. I read a lot of the defection AUs. There's this sort of a this, the, the trope within the Transformers fandom of people changing sides. It's typically Decepticons going Autobot. I also typically lean more towards those. They tend to be more optimistic. The politics just tend to be lighter. Yeah. In some ways, I think that there's nothing really different about this particular one. There are very long defection AUs. There's quite a few about jazz, and there are quite a few that like that motivate it by romance or by finding a community or by a mixture. I think that in combination, it's definitely the longest jazz-centric defection AU to go into that narrow category. 
But I think that one thing that is fun about it, or one thing I've enjoyed, is not necessarily trying anything new, but going on sort of a almost a scavenger hunt to pick up all of the little fanon tropes and ideas that I could string together. Like the idea of Jazz as an ex-con is uh, is popular in fandom. It's like he seems like the kind who would have changed over and the sort of moral ambiguity of Jazz where it's like, yeah, he, he seems like he could belong on either side. And I think that's fanon standard. And I think I approached that a little, a little unusually. Mistakes Jazz is unusually idealistic and also unusually um, emotionally balanced, which I, I know that he, he may not give off the impression, but yeah, I, I was actually doing like a lot of therapy when I started writing mistakes. And one sort of like little side challenge was I'm going to make sure that Jazz doesn't really do negative like distortions. Jazz has a very healthy, if incorrect, outlook on life. Yeah, so the precise Jazz characterization is a little different. I didn't really realize how much I had to say about just war and politics. That was kind of an accident. <laughs> it just came pouring out. <laughs> it just came pouring out. Oh my. Yes, I will say my um my less literal description of mistakes is I attempted to write sort of a rescue style hurt comfort story about a unfortunate but like over the top heroic person getting like love and affection and i accidentally digressed into uh 100,000 words of just war theory and like the difficulty <laughs> of doing right in a complicated world. <laughs> yeah, but that's one of the things that i found so fascinating about it is it brings up so many philosophical questions and existential questions. I just found it fascinating for them to explore that. It lets the reader explore that right along with the characters. I was really compelled by that. I'm glad you enjoyed that. It was sort of a surprise. That was not super planned, but it happened. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. That's awesome. So with this being like 59 chapters, and you talked about how your inspiration for the story was really just kind of, you had already read a lot of the stories that are, were already like this, and you just kind of wanted to see how many like tropes you could pull in. Yes. You know, which I think is fantastic because we've talked about tropes and how much we love using tropes to explore different things. So using different tropes to explore this particular defection AU brilliant super cool did you know going in that this was going to be like this epic 59 chapter story or did that kind of creep up on you it's one of those things where given what i knew at the time i should have been able to like i had my outline the outline changes a lot but like i, I had my outline i could have gone through and been like yeah this is going to be a massive scope with like a lot of like these ideas that are just creeping into whatever I'm writing. Right. Tangent upon tangent. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I, but I didn't, I didn't think about it. I... <laughs> so were you anticipating this to be like maybe five chapters tops or something and then you were going to be done? <laughs> so I was, so don't outline hypomanic. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. So I had about 40,000 words of just like scribbled notes, many of which are like not used anywhere. And like, this is one of those basic, just like failures of reason. I had 35,000 words of notes. And I looked at that and I said, I think I could turn this into a fic. I think it'll be about 20,000 words. What? <laughs> 20,000 words? <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> what was that reasoning? And part of it was I sort of intended to give up when I stopped having like the, this obsessive need to write about 
these uh, characters. When I say I've read every defection AU, I mean like I was deep in like way back archive forms of like old kink memes, like comments of people talking about like partial fills. Oh my god! Yeah. So you went academic on this, like you have a PhD oh, at this it point. It was not research. I was just looking for content. <laughs> <laughs> In the dark recesses of the internet yes. is where we find the gold. There's some, there's some good, I have like saved a few like 300 word kink meme fills. I'm like, yes, this is great. I'm glad I found this. The reasoning, such as it was, was that I am this desperate for content. So if I'm going to like, I, I'm just going to like scribble out some story that may or may not go anywhere and I'll probably lose interest in it or like write myself into a corner and it'll fizzle out. But I know that I would want to read, like, four chapters out of a planned 20 that, like, doesn't go anywhere that satisfying, so I'll just I'll just write it, and I'll just post it. And I didn't really realize that people interacted. I didn't realize that comments existed until I, like, got some, and I was like, oh my god, people are reading this? Wait, what? Oh, dear lord. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> you know, I was just about to ask you, do you think that that's what keeps you going, in some sense, for a story this big? Is it partially because you have this passionate audience that is like with you and wants to see where the story goes and is super excited about the places that you've taken it so far? It's hard to say. I think it's what made it real to me. Yeah, I, I posted first chapter at like 2 a.m. Well, like exhausted and like not thinking straight. I was like, this will be just my little line on this is good enough to move on from this section and I'll work on the next section and I don't know, I'll write like 2,000 words every two weeks. But then people were reading it and I realized like, oh, this is this is like, this is a real thing that's happening. This is not like a, a fever dream scribbling, screaming out into the void. This is not a drill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you weren't the only one hungry for this content apparently, right? Apparently, yeah. And I, I, I relate pretty strongly to like, finding something long and complicated that you're into and being like, yes, yes, I'm excited to read this. So it's nice to feel like I'm doing that for someone when I've read that so much over the years. But I think that that was useful. I think so that, that gave me a lot of sort of just energy to work starting off. And yeah, that, that, that was absolutely that, that was a huge lever. Like, it was just exciting to know that other people were excited. It sort of just fed my own, like, yeah, this is exciting. And that, that gave me a lot of energy to write. And I think that that sort of helped me get organized. I really want to finish this fic. And I would really want to, regardless of whether anybody read it. I must say this because now that like I have like personal relationships with some readers, it's like, it feels mean to say that because like, no, I wouldn't hide it from you guys. I know that you guys want to read the ending. I I'm not going to just write it and not show you guys. That would be just mean, but something about putting it out there helps with the organization. And some of it is just like, I think, purely practical. Posting regularly and having a stage of complete where it's like, okay, this is done enough, move on, get it to a state where like people can read it. I don't know whether I need it for like finishing, but it definitely helps. I have a form of chapter 60 written out. It's not formatted in a, it, it's, it's word salad. But it's word salad that I could adjust forever and like fuss with. It's like, oh, maybe like this, maybe like this. I don't know. I'll think about something else for a little bit. But the idea that it's like, no, make it into something that a human being can read and post it and do the next chapter. Like having that as my next step has like let me keep doing that next step for longer than I thought. 
I've read on the outline several times. Uh, every few chapters, I've read the outline to like see, okay, how did I horribly misunderestimate my word count this time? The first outline I did was like eight chapters. And then a few sections later, I was like, okay, that was clear. Around chapter eight, I was like, okay, I was wrong. Uh, let me check. Okay, 21 chapters. And then it was at 50 chapters right up until I was at chapter 35. And I was counting. I'm like, we are oh not. God. We're not there. <laughs> <laughs> the number just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. higher. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the current estimate is to 75. Nice. Epic. I love it. Oh, yeah. This did not go the way I expected it to. I also didn't really think it through. So... That's okay, though. That's okay. I feel like sometimes the best surprises in life are the ones that you really just did not see coming. Absolutely. I did not expect to write fanfiction. I did not expect to, like, meet people through writing fanfiction. And it's it's been genuinely life-changing. I love to hear that, though. I love to hear that. Because you know what? I've had experiences in my life where I wasn't sure if I should start a project, right? Especially if it's something I've never done before. And I think, oh my gosh, this just seems so weird and so hard. But what you also don't think about on the other side of that is what are the really cool things that could happen to me that I just have no concept of? And that's the beautiful thing about putting stuff out there, even if you're not sure about it, even if you don't think it's perfect or you're good at it or whatever. You never know the amazing things that could happen to you. Like you said, you have met amazing people on the internet. You've discovered things about yourself. Hey, guess what? You're capable of doing like this massive, you know, like multi-chapter project. I've learned how to write. Yes, you've learned how to write. You've learned that people really enjoy your particular writing style. I'm sure that the amazing things that have happened to you because of this project have just been incredible. So we've sort of covered this already, but I just wanted to throw it out there because I mentioned while I was reading this fic that, uh, I really enjoyed your particular uh, interpretation of Jazz and Prowl. And while I was doing research for this particular episode, I somehow, I don't know how, I somehow stumbled on this tweet from one of your readers, right? It was actually a response to another tweet, but the tweet said something about how, you know, sometimes you go in and you read a fan fiction and the particular portrayals of the characters in that fan fiction are so unique that they never leave you. You'll forever feel disappointed reading other fan fictions after that because the character portrayals are never quite as good as that one fic. And one of your readers responded to that. And they were like, oh, yeah, I totally feel that way about this one fic. Mistakes on mistakes until. And I know we've talked about this before, like in passing, but I just wanted to know what you what you thought about that, because I thought that was pretty cool. I, I think that's really sweet and flattering for one. Like, I'm glad people like that, especially like. I don't think I could have written Jazz if I had been thinking too hard about it, because he's a lot. <laughs> yeah, a little. <laughs> it's like, kind of the personality where it's like, you're, I don't know how you're pulling this off, because this should be very annoying. Right, but it's not, though. It's not. It's like cheeky, yeah. you know? Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's just like, it's so cheeky that you're just like, Jazz, I love you. If I had to deal with you, I would, like, lose my fucking mind. But you're so cute. Yeah. Like, I just love you. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm glad people like that. Part, part of me is like, oh, no, I mischaracterized him. I didn't hit the classic fandom. I was like, ah, people get leeway. And I'm glad that, like, people like this particular flavor of jazz. And I like that there are multiple flavors. And I relate to sometimes, like, switching between characterizations, like, switching between fix and be like, oh, yes, this is just slightly different character, just just readjusting. But I think I know the tweet you're talking about. And 
I think that it was tweeted not that long ago, but early on enough that like fic has been written since that I feel like, yes, that jazz is a little like the jazz that I like to write. And there's some amount of like indirect influence and some amount of just like, yeah, people keep writing him. But I love that there's always more. And I love that people, I feel like I, I sort of offer a jazz and some people run with him. And I love that because like, yes, someone else will write him. Yes. Yes, it's not the end of cheeky jazz. Yeah, I love that too. I love that too. It was funny because I tried to go back and find that tweet after. You know, it was just one of those things I stumbled on accidentally and then I went back to find it later and I could not find it. So I don't even remember what date it was, but I do know that as I went in and started reading other Jazz Prowl fan fictions, for scientific reasons, of course, <laughs> I did notice that not all of them, but some of them did portray a jazz that was very reminiscent of yours. So I think that your assertion that some people have taken your interpretation of jazz and kind of run with it, I think is absolutely true. For me, I get really excited anytime I encounter a fic that has really unique dialogue. The characters just have a really unique way of speaking or communicating. And that's absolutely jazz here. So like I am endlessly entertained by the shit that comes out of his mouth. It is like the best. And you're so good at it. You know, when dialogue surprises me and I don't see it coming, that's when I know, okay, this is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because I have no idea what this character is going to say at any given point <laughs> in the story. So that's always like so delightful for me to encounter something like that. But um, I wanted to go back to that indulgent terror attack discussion here. Just yes, a little yes, bit. yes. All right. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to lie. All right. Like, I read a lot of dark, dark fan fiction. Not all the time. Okay. So everybody put your pants back on. <laughs> but uh, it's good. <laughs> but it is good. And I'm sorry, but there's just something about my particular personality that really loves to see that dark shit, right? I don't know why I am this way, but it's how I am. <laughs> right. I told you, like, sometimes I feel like, what the hell is wrong with you? Because I just, I gravitate towards that stuff all the time, but it's gratifying to know I'm not alone. So I love that. Thank you so much for going there with me because it's always delightful when I encounter someone who understands. Yeah. My point is that I've read so much like dark shit and tons of hurt comfort, tons of angsty shit. So I go into this fan fiction and I see this indulgent terror tag and I'm like, I do not know what this means, right? <laughs> and then I start reading this fic and yeah, I start encountering these scenes where Jazz, which is hilarious to me, okay, because he comes off as so super confident and so super like, I can get myself out of any situation. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And he's so cheeky about everything. But then like, there are these moments when he breaks down because he's like genuinely afraid. He's so afraid of Ratchet. He does not want to be touched when he's unconscious. And then there are other situations where he's alone in a room with another Autobot and they're trying to intimidate him a little bit and he just folds, you know, which you wouldn't think because he's just so confident in most other situations. But that's what I love to see. Do I know why? No, not really. Like I could spend the rest of my life trying to dig into that psychological like reasoning behind why I love that. But yeah, those moments when he was so vulnerable and afraid. And then I thought, is this what they mean by indulgent terror? Because this feels like yes. indulgent terror to me. Like, this is so indulgent because it's hitting that part of my brain where I just want to see somebody shake it in their boots a little bit. I want to see someone scared. Yeah, I do. 
how horrible is that? But I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's yeah. what I want. It's like, I definitely don't know why I'm like this. I don't know what the deal is, but like, yes. Oh, and it did feel so indulgent because obviously the fic has a lot of like amazing plot and a lot of things going on. And then in the middle of it, you pepper it with all of these like amazing scenes of Jazz just being scared out of his mind. Oh, it's like when you're eating a meal, it's steak or something, right? And you've got that mushroom sauce on top. You really love steak. But when you get a little bite of that mushroom with a steak, it's just magic. That's what it felt like. I'm glad to because I, I was worried that I kind of, I'm not always confident that I've earned that indulgent terror tag. Sometimes I feel like this fic has gone off the rails. What happened to my self-indulgent fic about like sad, scared jazz? And yeah, it, it, it's, it's like it's there. And I think part of it is like, like there are a lot of emotions and interactions that happen in like varying levels of detail. Like there's a lot of things that just are implied to happen and that like happen off screen. But part of it is like, yeah, let's pause and think about this particular interaction really hard. Yes. Having that moment to breathe and to have him have such a, I don't know what else to call it, but such a human moment. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Here's the other part that really got me. Not only do you have these moments of indulgent terror, then there are some parts where he's talking about it afterwards with Prowl or with someone else. And he almost, what's the word I'm looking for? There are times when he downplays it a little bit. Like that part where he got hit in the face. Yeah. And then he's trying to like excuse it later to Prowl. Like, oh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I would have hit me too. And you're like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> the prowl reaction. That's not what? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Almost like it's happened so many times at this point that he just is like, no, I deserve that. That's fair. And you just want to be like, no, buddy. No. <laughs> but that just makes it better. Yeah. He is like tough and capable, but he's also quite traumatized. He's not necessarily always right about what reasonable interactions are. <laughs> Yes, he has this like really warped idea. Like he knows what he doesn't want. But then when some of that stuff happens to him anyway, he just kind of brushes it off like, oh, well, I guess I deserved that. Like, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. The dark side of like, but yeah, he rules with everything. With everything. He is not kidding about that. It's this really fine line where you show it. But sometimes you don't. And sometimes the implied behind what is not shown is even worse. I'm not going to lie. I spent a lot of time in between reading these chapters thinking about like, huh, I wonder what that means. I wonder all of the implied stuff that's not being said explicitly. You know what I mean? That's just where my dark brain goes, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the hand waves of like, yeah, bad, bad things. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, imagine my delight when I discovered that uh, indulgent terror meant exactly what I thought it meant. That was a, a huge, like, bonus here. Just wanted to tell you that, like, you know, <laughs> one dark fic reader to another. I'm so glad my attempt at, like, some kind of dark fic secret handshake worked. <laughs> yes, if it's a secret handshake, message received, delightful. The only thing with these kinds of fics, and I'll be completely honest about this, okay? The only thing about these types of fics is that inevitably the character ends up in a situation where they sort of have their found family around them now and they feel a lot safer and those moments are like less and less. And like on the one hand, you're like, okay, that's good, right? Because like they deserve to feel safe and they deserve to heal. But then on the other hand, 
yep, yep. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm happy that this is the ending, but I'm also like no longer really getting the thing that I'm looking for. <laughs> no, yeah, that little hit of adrenaline or whatever it is, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's this bittersweet moment where it's like, oh, we don't get to see him be as terrorized anymore and he's not you know, all that stuff. But at the same time, like, you're, like, gratified to see, like, this is a good spot for you to be in, dude. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad, man. I'm glad. Good for you, you know? <laughs> yes, actually, I will say two things about, like, related to that sort of, like, yeah, the inevitable decline in terror with, like, the heart comfort structure. Yeah, I remember, uh, I'd, you asked earlier, and I forgot to say, I wanted to write a defection pick before I settled on jazz i like had a few ideas like oh yeah who's like an interesting like defector to use and part of the appeal of jazz was like he will genuinely cause problems that are not just like misunderstanding the defection structure is nice because there's like there's ongoing like credible mistrust a lot of like the slave thick and rescue stories that like i read i'll love them there's nothing wrong with it but like mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. yeah uh it, it'll be somebody who's like picked up by people who understand what's going on and will say it's like yes you are hurt and we are going to take care of you and a lot of the like the, tr- the struggle is like struggling to believe that but like with the defection structure is like you're kind of at our mercy so we don't want to like cross any boundaries but you are sort of an enemy but it's kind of unclear there's like there's more mutual mistrust and like more practical reasons to sort of slow the healing process you know <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. That is such a good point. Yes. I can see that a hundred percent because you're right. It's not your typical rescue story. Technically he was rescued because it didn't sound like he was having that great of a time with the Decepticons. But even though he's like out of that situation now, he's still a prisoner of war. Yeah. And he's still actively causing problems. (laughs) Yes. Actively causing problems, trying to like survive. You know, it's just this complicated situation. And there are so many situations and scenarios where that misunderstanding does come up because not every Autobot is going to treat him the same. Some of them are just like, oh, let us help you. And then others are like, I, I'm not going to touch you with a 10-foot pole. Like, we do not trust you. You cause a lot of trouble around here. There was a lot of material there to pull from for that indulgent terror tag because, yeah, the particular flavor of misunderstanding here was just ripe. Yeah, that's why, like, the defection picks that up. I think, like, I, I went on a binge, like, yeah, this defection premise, I, I'm fascinated by it. And it was absolutely, like, a variant of, like, a lot of the classic, like, slave fix structures. It's like, yeah, it's a similar hurt comfort vibe, but with extra complications. And apparently I like complication. <laughs> I, will, I will say, to back up to something I thought of when you were talking about you related to Prowl, I just and the t- writing the pairing, one thing that kind of cracks me up is I sometimes get that sort of sense from readers, like that they relate to one more than the other. And oftentimes it'll be like, oh man, I particularly like Prowl, or I particularly like Jazz, or like I relate to them. Some comments are like, oh man, Jazz is off doing something wild, and I just want to slap him until he like calms down and relaxes. Some readers are like, oh man, this is always so fun, and it's like wild, and like crazy things are happening. It's like, ah, one of you relates to Prowl, and one of you relates to Jazz. Yeah, it seems like inevitably with a fic like this, when you have two polar opposites like that, that you would have someone relating more to Prowl or relating more to Jazz. I find that fascinating because everybody has a different personality type. I happen to be more analytical personally. So, of course, Prowl is my homeboy here because like I just get him and where he's coming from. 
But then I have friends and loved ones who are more like jazz, you know. And so over the years, I've really gotten a chance to kind of understand that particular personality type as well. And, uh, and it's just so much fun. Between Prowl and Jazz, like, did you have a particular perspective that was your favorite to write between the two of them? Which one felt more natural to you, I guess? Oh, man. So I think I have a weak preference for writing Jazz just because his perspective tends to move a little quicker. And also, he's less anxious than Prowl. And like, writing in like, basically unhappy thoughts is, is always kind of like, okay, Prowl's not having a good time. But the secret is, they're actually both pretty natural to me. When I'm writing between people, like, like when I'm just writing myself, like when I am writing things, I have the bad habits of using a lot of parentheticals and using a lot of em dashes. And when I realized that this was going to be primarily jazz parallel POV alter, uh, alternation, I decided, okay, each of them gets one of my bad writing habits. So Prowl got the parentheticals and Jazz got the end dashes. Oh, yes. Yes, I noticed that. I noticed that. It was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed. It's, it's the most distinctive thing. It's the easiest way to like switch between the styles. Is like, that's the reference point. But like, there's all sorts of things. Like, I kind of like divided up my natural writing preferences between the two of them. Prowl sentence structure is more like my natural sentence structure. I use a mixture of like weird precise diction and slangy stuff and they each get half, but like, yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. And you mentioned like earlier in our conversation that you really do feel like you have parts of both characters in you, you know, like you can easily relate to both of them in different aspects and stuff. So that totally doesn't surprise me to hear that you were able to do both, but you had a lot of fun. It sounds like kind of splitting your different writing styles between the two characters kind of cementing their two different perspectives and personalities more through, you know, like a visual writing style, which I think is just brilliant. I loved it. Glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it was so super cool. I mentioned earlier that I heard about you and your fake because one of your readers contacted me and they mentioned that they read this story. They went in fandom blind, just like I did. No background in Transformers whatsoever. But they said, this is one of the best fan fictions I've ever read in my entire life. And they specifically referenced what they refer to as your particular military writing style. I wasn't really sure quite, quite what they meant by that. But when I went in and started reading this, I was like, oh, my God, yes, absolutely. This is a very distinctive military style. It reminded me a lot of Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. I read that a long time ago. And to this day, it's one of my favorite military novels because it's just so steeped in that military style. And your fic reminded me of that so, so much. So I was just wondering if there is a particular background or particular life experience that you're drawing on to achieve that particular military writing style. This was a surprising question and has been sort of like a surprising thing that people noted because I don't have a military background. I grew up in a community that's like pretty anti-military. A lot of my friends and family are anarchist. It's I don't have much personal experience with it. But I also grew up with a lot of sci-fi. So like in terms of just pure style, like, yeah, it's uh, like Ender's Game. Yeah, is, is in the mass of like, I'm, I think a lot of it is honestly just like fucking aesthetic. So I think that Stargate and Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, th those are sort of my like touchstones for like, yeah, I enjoy the way like the level of military stylization where uh, it's something that's important to the character. So it's like obviously going to be very present. But it's also not necessarily going to be realistic. It was one of those cascade 
impacts where I decided for like thematic and for character choice reasons, like the structure and function of the military is going to be pretty thematically important. So it's going to need to like have real feeling to it. A lot of the war media that I like is like sort of closest to reach for me is not really military genre, like use of weapons by Ian Banks and like the forever war and like Le Care and like fucking come and see. Like I do enjoy sort of war fiction, but usually like the pretty dark stuff that's like not military genre. And I kind of tried to step carefully and hand wave a little bit. I don't know much about like military organization personally. I read and thought a lot of adjacent media, so like I can gloss the jargon. I think I draw some of that from um I'm familiar with the military is mostly through like engineers because a lot of engineering has military contracts and I know a lot of engineers and people and medical professionals and medicine is also structured pretty militarily. So a lot of the sort of jargon and feel I think draws from those kinds of uh, organizations. I think one of the important parts of the story is sort of the various levels of breakdown relationship between like the individual and the organization. And just looking at sort of organization and groups, there's thematic stuff in there that I think is not necessarily military specific, but that like the bones of it are more about the nature of organizations with goals and like how they function, how well they function. And the military dressing is not based on a lot of personal experience, but draws heavily from adjacent, but like whatever I can think of to be useful and the great history of genre stylization. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's being drawn from like exposure, you know, over the years to those kinds of things. And you just have this really unique ability to internalize that, I guess, in your particular writing style and then use it appropriately. (laughs) Your level of incorporation, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is uh, really done so well here. So I can absolutely see how just the exposure to that and then being able to just incorporate it where it needs to be done. It's, it's just brilliant and so, so interesting because you juxtapose that military style writing with super unique dialogue in the characters, <laughs> especially from jazz, you know, and you're just like, oh, this is so unhinged. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Like, I love it. <laughs> like, have you ever worked in an organization before? We know you have, but what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when you you talk about that consideration of the organization versus the experience of the individual, I can totally see, especially from Jazz's perspective. It's so super interesting. And and it brings up a lot of like really interesting, compelling questions. I think that that's absolutely worth exploring. And I loved it. Obviously, we know that all of my favorite scenes from this fic are the indulgent terror scenes where like Jazz is just like so scared because I'm messed up and I love that shit. Yes, same, same. (laughs) I I was wondering, is that the same for you as as far as your favorite scenes from the fic? Or did you have any others that you would point to and say, nope, that's actually like my favorite? Oh, man, those are fun. I think those remain like sort of the heart of like, yeah, this is what I'm this is what I'm doing. There's a lot of things that like surprised me or like things that I didn't really mean to write. But once I did, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm satisfied with that. Or like, that was more fun than I realized or more worthwhile than I thought it would be. And I think one of my favorite scenes and a scene that like feels sort of serendipitous, like everything sort of came together to make it work, was the first kiss when Prowl basically, in a friendly way, ambushes Jazz in a 
computer room and, and Jazz sits on him and they talk about their relationship. Yeah, and it's positioned at just a particular point when I think both of their character arcs are like just sort of on a brink and it's just a, a little but very important tipping point. I'm always very indecisive with my writing. So like, it is not the case that I just like was able to just like sit down and write it and it worked surprisingly well. It came together and I was happy that all of the like the sort of emotional tensions and contexts were lining up at the same time. Yeah, it did. I was about to say that when I was reading that chapter and people who know me really well are not going to be surprised by this at all. But like, I often don't see things coming. That's like a flaw. And so true to form in this chapter, I didn't see that kiss coming, you know? So for me, it was like, surprise. (laughs) And I loved it. That's the kind of surprise that I'm like, all right, sweet, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I loved the comments on that. Like, I mean, they they were very nice, but also like, again, like there was this reader split between people who were like, yeah, like, wait, what did Prowl think was happening? Or like, I thought they've been dating for like a while now. Versus people who are like, whoa, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was in the what's going on camp because uh, thinking about Prowl, honestly, and how a person like Prowl would approach a relationship, probably about the same way that I would, where it's like, we're taking things slow and we're not defining it really. And we're just kind of, you know, and sometimes you don't even realize that feelings are starting to develop as deeply as they are. And then, like, I'm the kind of person, this is embarrassing to admit, but I don't know when people are flirting with me most of the time. And I can sort of almost see probably in the same way. Absolutely. Where, like, yeah, yeah, where they're in this computer room together and Prowl thinks that the conversation's going a particular way. And then, like, Jess comes up and sits in his lap and he still doesn't know what's going on. No. You know, like I could absolutely believe that 100%. Yeah, he's like petting him lightly and probably just like, is this a threat? I know. He's like, are you about to kill me now? Like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. So the surprise element for my particular brain was like perfect. I loved it. Oh, that's so great. So we've talked about the way you've gone about crafting this story and how you were kind of surprised by the direction it's taken. and. And how, you know, (laughs) your outline has kind of like grown as you, you know, go on and everything. We've talked about how like uh, this is kind of your first long project, which I think is amazing. You know, and you've mentioned that you've learned so many things writing such a big project. So I was wondering if you could give one piece of advice that you've learned doing this to other fan fiction writers out there. What would that piece of advice be? For sure. Have fun. Like figure out how to make it fun and like... If writing is work, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. For sure, it can be like a slog. And I'll, I've like banged my head. I'm like, how is this working? But I didn't realize how much the element of like fun changed things until I started writing this and like how fun it was. I wrote some like original fiction and it was, I, I wrote it. But then like the thing that sort of clicked with mistakes was just like how fun it was to write and how I was writing this like just totally an old story that I like I wanted to read I like it didn't have to be good and it didn't have to like be important or like particularly meaningful I was just something that I was writing for fun and that was really powerful for both motivation and for like making things happen I don't think I'm a perfectionist but I definitely struggle with like 
trying to stop working on sections. Yeah, it's like, oh, I should do this. Eh, it's better. Eh, this is not good. But with fan fiction, I think one of the one of the great things about fan fiction is I think that I have enjoyed the hell out of fan fiction that is objectively just like not very good. I don't I don't want to like be rude to like different like writing styles or like different writing approaches, but like there's some fan fiction that it's like this is not really quality writing, but I love it. It's so good. I, it's like it's I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, cuz it's still a lot of fun. It's like it doesn't have to be like yeah. It doesn't have to be like nice. It doesn't even have to be spelled correctly. I don't care if people have particularly good spelling and grammar if it's got the story that I'm interested in and like yeah, it doesn't have to be good. It can just make something fun. Ah, I love that advice. That is so beautiful. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but I do go on to that fanfiction Reddit thread. And it's so interesting listening to the different writers on there talking about this and that, about their writing projects and stuff. And sometimes it does sound to me like some writers get so lost in the haze of trying to produce the next masterpiece of fanfiction writing, you know, which is which is fine, which is a great goal to have. But sometimes I feel like as creators, we do sometimes lose that sense of fun. At the end of the day, it is supposed to be fun. And it's okay if it's not perfect. It's okay if it doesn't mean anything. And as long as we're having fun and as long as people are enjoying it, you know, that always surprises me when people put stuff out and they're like, yeah, I didn't actually spend too much time on this. And it ended up being one of my most popular pieces because they were just enjoying it and having fun. And the readers of that fic just responded to that energy, I guess, and they had fun reading it too. So did you have any other fan fiction writers that you admire or enjoy reading that you'd like to shout out on the podcast real quick? I will say like Never a Larch, who is fantastic for a number of reasons. Their stuff is always hilarious, but also like they're nice. We've talked a little bit and I was sort of, especially at first I had like just like this weird like fan reaction of like, I actually was like cleaning up my bookmarks when I realized that AO3 was a real place with real people. And I realized that I have been reading your fic for years. And that's weird, especially because you've been in like multiple fandoms. And I like, it's like, yeah, I read your Night Vale fic like 10 years ago. And <laughs> that's so cool, though. Isn't it amazing when we can make connections like that and then be like, oh, my God, I know you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Cassius Ferry has written a lot of Transformers stuff. They, yeah, they last posted in like 2015, but Transformers an old fandom. Yeah, Cash Fair and Ultra Kitty are two of the writers that were part of my like slippery slope into fandom. And I, I'll always read Dragon of Despair and LJ Mouse. LJ Mouse, who writes such long fix with so many things going on, and I just love the details. Also, Spock and Awe for Transformers, and then just also. Goblin Cat Casey writes a jazz prowl that I enjoy a lot. And just for sort of a, maybe an odd one out. So, so Feynite or Feynite? Uh, F-E-Y-N-I-T-E. Like, j just to throw in the Dragon Age fic that I always go back to, even when I'm like deep in Transformers. I'm like, yeah, I just, I am only interested in space robots. And also this elaborate Dragon Age AU written by, by this one person. <laughs> nice! I have been known to hang out a lot in the Dragon Age AO3 fandom for the fan fiction. Yep. I was trying to like wreck somebody a Dragon Age fic at one point. I was just going through my bookmarks and I had the abrupt realization. Did I just repurpose the Iron Bowl for jazz? 
actually, now that you say that, that makes total sense. <laughs> like, hold on a minute. They're right. <laughs> like, that is fantastic. Yeah. I went in their fandom blind for Dragon Age and fell in love with Fenris and never looked back. So to this day, like I still <laughs> run around. There's not a whole lot of, I don't know, to me, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of fan fiction being written and posted as there was, I'm sure, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, but yeah, it's quite I still enjoy. Lot. Yeah, it's still good. I love that. We'll make sure that all of those writers and their profiles get posted up on the show notes so that people can check those out. Especially people curious about the Transformers uh, fandom in particular, because like I said, I <laughs> had been skipping over Transformers fan fiction all my life and then discovered like just how delightful. Oh, it's yes. Yeah. So I want other people to have that same opportunity if they so dare. One more thing that I like, love about the Transformers fandom that I haven't really touched on at all here, just because like, yes, it's it's the, the sandbox and the setting, but also like. Transformers fandom is fascinating to me because it is, I mean, it's lovingly, it's very weird. And for one thing, I have never encountered so much porn written by and for non-binary asexuals. Yeah, the, the, the gender and sexuality stuff in Transformers, there's a lot of mentions to it, but in like a lot of different ways. But something about the amount of asexuals writing erotica in Transformers fandom, I adore. I am friends with them and I don't understand it as a phenomenon, but it's a unique fandom and I love it. Yeah, you know, I have heard through the grapevine that that's the case. And I love that. I love that this particular fandom really lends itself to that type of exploration. And it seems like these types of characters really allows folks to feel comfortable, right? Exploring those parts of themselves and, and telling these types of stories in a way that grants us some really great representation and some really great exploration. That's so wonderful. Potential flag. Uh, just yeah, as, as discussed, I enjoy dark things, and I also enjoy sex comedy in a way that I think is harder to infer from the conversation, but all of those, almost all, if not all, of those authors mentioned have some um, pretty serious things and or some uh, raunchy things, so. Yeah, so just be mindful of the tags, folks, right? Be mindful of the tags. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not your cup of tea, just move on, right? I love that. Yes, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, for all, all of you who enjoy that kind of a thing, now you have a whole list of folks that you can go check out. Secret Handshake. <laughs> we'll teach you guys the Secret Handshake because there is one at this point. Jabbers, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. I had so much fun learning about Transformers and so much fun reading your fan fiction. And obviously, like today's conversation was so spectacular. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. So thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight anytime check out their stories on ao3 folks give them some love you can find the fanfic maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com on tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast on instagram and twitter at fanficmaverick and i can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com thank you all so much for listening don't forget to subscribe and i will see you next episode in the meantime keep on rolling <laughs> <laughs>